Man, it's like the crazy backwards universe. Where cats chase dogs and sitcoms are funny. It's what us radio professionals call improvising. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Intermillennium Media Project. My name is Ian, a millennial born in the early 90s, and with me today is... Matthew Porter, uh, born in the 1960s and Ian's dad. And usually on this show, my dad would subject me to some piece of media from his youth, something that influenced him as he was a kid, and share it with me to get my opinion. And last time we recorded, that was Lidsville. Yes, it was Lidsville. Yes, but... One of my formative media experiences. (laughs) Isn't that the point? Yes, but as as counterbalance to that, I've taken over this time. And so so for this round of Intermillennium Media Project... This is going to be a type of episode that will occasionally pop up known as The Millennial Strikes Back. I suppose it is only fair after making you watch Lidsville last week. Yeah. So, most of the time, anything that I wind up taking over to show, my father will have seen, of course, before he watched plenty of the stuff I watched when I was watching it. But there are certain pieces that I think play a a role to show how things have changed or how things have stayed the same, or at very least to set a baseline of humor and interest between us. So we can talk about these and still apply our same formula of, is it binge or no binge? Is it something that, you know, needs to be rebooted or revived or is it, is it good where it was and it should rest in peace? We can still apply all that, but this is a bit of a turnaround. So this time I showed my dad a show from starting in 2000s and ending in 2004 on the Disney Channel and a couple other places. It got rerun, apparently. That's a show known as The Weekenders. This is an amazing show. I, mean, I love this show. If, if this is my, my punishment for making you watch <laughs> Lidsville, there's something not right with this system. Because I, I, I think this is great. I've messed up. <laughs> To to explain how much I love this show, I'm not a person who has a lot of signed things. I'm I'm not a person who goes out for that. But You're not an autograph hand. I'm not a... But this is a show where, when I knew I was going to get a chance to, I had Jason Marsden sign my two DVDs of this. Because I loved this series, and I, I go back to rewatch episodes at... Not super regularly, but I'll like think of something that's like... Where is this phrase from? Where is this thought wedged in my mind? And I'll go back and find it in one of these episodes again. It is filled with clever writing and really well-drawn characters, I think, in terms of you know, them being three-dimensional characters. And they just put that together with so many, so, such a good sense of humor. One of the biggest things is this is full of world-building. We're going to have a lot to talk about in just in terms of the other people in Bahia Bay and th- what surrounds our group of four mains here. Yeah, there's nothing thrown away, nothing wasted no, in they... the background or anything else as they set up their stories. 
they just keep going. So why don't we go episode by episode on this one? Sure. Uh, as usual with uh, TV series, we, of course, have not watched all of them for the sake of this podcast. We have watched all of them in the past. I had mm-hmm. this I had this weird notion that I should be aware of what my kid was watching when he was little. <laughs> I know that's like, what's the point of television if you have to pay attention to your kid? But... So we have we have watched all of these, but we watched a few of them uh, to refresh our memories and just to have fun before we recorded this. We watched more than we thought we would because we just like, oh, this one's awesome. <laughs> so what? Which ones did we go back to? Well, we we of course started with the first episode. We usually try to watch episode one of anything in order to see how the show sets itself up. That's a pretty good practice, I think, because that's it's more important in some series than others, but it's usually a good idea. And this one doesn't care. It, this yeah, one, really this one just matter. like, you could throw episode one into the middle of season two, and it wouldn't, outside of a few differences in animation quality in a few points, it wouldn't look very different. It wouldn't seem very different. It's just another slice of life. And that's a that's a positive review, I think, but it definitely does make you like pause the DVD and check where you are. And story wise, although there is a lot of world building, as you said, they create this rich environment in this cartoon. But honestly, they do over the course of the, the seasons that it had that rewards somebody who's paying attention. But it's still pretty episodic in that you can pick up any episode not having seen any of it before and still very quickly know who these characters are and what they're doing, what the premise is and, and enjoy it from wherever you begin. Yeah, uh, this is a show that will not flinch away from archetypal characters of a type of, you know, people are a type of character you can recognize from a distance at times. It's very simple. You see, for society to function normally, every person must have a single dominant personality trait. Exactly. Um, where did you come up with that lore? Read it off of that guy's t-shirt. For society to... Wow, they'll put anything on a shirt nowadays. But it'll then have fun with it once it establishes that. It It won't waste its time setting that up. But you can immediately learn that... Carver's the fashion person that, you know, Lore is the sports one. Tish has the the smarts of the group. And it takes a bit longer to figure out who Tino is, but he's he's the neuronic neurotic leader kind of panicky neurotic who's who's Great and intense concerns always seem to drive the plot, or, or often seem to drive the plot. Not always. It's pretty pretty well mixed. He's also but. he's also got uh, been gifted with powers of breaking the fourth wall. Yes, yes. Now, before we get too much into the characters, you want to describe the basic setup of the Weekenders. Oh, as yeah, as the name implies, it always takes place over the weekend. Every episode will start on Friday, and end at Sunday night. It is what they do over their weekend after leaving school. Now, sometimes they'll mix that up. There was an episode that starts in mid-weekend or at the end of the weekend, and it'll go back. Or I think there's an episode that's a long, like, vacation weekend where they've got a Monday. That rings a bell. I think there might have been. We might have even seen the inside of a classroom once in the entire series. Yeah. But it's it really is. It's Friday afternoon to Sunday evening. 
is the the scope of time in which these stories take place. And it's uh, it's a TV series. It was half hour blocks of programming, but there were two stories in each half hour. So uh, and they paired them up and. You got two independent stories in each of those. So each one takes about 12 minutes or so to, to tell. Yeah, and that seems short, but they, uh, the, the, the density of storytelling in each of them makes that work. In, in some ways, other shows that get hamstrung by that, this one didn't have that problem. It does mean that trying to figure out an episode listing or trying to figure out where a specific bit was from is way harder since you'll look at it and there's all these segments and then they were blocked up in pairs, but they didn't have to be for some airings of them. They were sometimes scrambled around and we all know, we know all of this is season one, but none of it is sequential where things change. The status quo is usually kept so they could be in any order and not affect the story. It's a, it's, there is not a lot of, clear concise these are the episodes in what order online there's not a lot put online about this and i keep hearing people say oh i loved that show but i haven't seen like a clear listing out there even wikipedia's is a little iffy it's not an easy show to come by not 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 an easy show to find these days and also, it doesn't really matter, as we said, it doesn't matter what order you see them in, so the fact that there isn't a single strict canonical order isn't a big problem, but it is curious how little is out there online about this show that seems to be so beloved by the people who know about it. Mm-hmm. And it's not like it's a show where no one is recognizable in terms of cast. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Jason Marsden is well-known. Well, this is right on target. My number one career is announcer. I'm thinking like one of those guys on TV. Up next, a very special Team Canyon. Or tonight on Action Flash News. Are your socks killing you? Or maybe I could do cartoon voices. The theme song is Sun by Wayne Brady. All the pieces are there for something that should should retain its popularity. And it it has, but I think it's just one of those things where it was never... It was aired on Disney and its related channels. There is a DVD release available, but it just was never promoted that heavily from what I've seen. Mm. And I I take it some of that might have been a a production, like, limbo issue. So was it in rights limbo for a while, or who would get the money, or who would be responsible for it? Everything I heard about, like, when when there was talk about it coming someplace... It was talked about being in kind of some of the same limbo as another show that might come up, so I'm not going to spoil that. They were both kind of stuck together. This one had an easier time making its way somewhere, and the other one is still stuck in that void, last I knew. Yeah, it's a shame how that happens. Even after such a a relatively short period of time, we're talking about a show from a little more than 10 years ago, and or 15 years ago, and it's, it's hard to sort that out. And, and it, that that's one of the points where this is an interesting parallel and why it's a, a good instance for our show here. This is a show from my childhood, but it is harder to get your hands on than some of the shows you were pulling up and showing me from when you were younger. That's an interesting point. You're right. The, I haven't had much. It's been a challenge to find things, uh, but... There haven't been any shows that I've identified for our podcast that I simply have not been able to find. I've Mm -hmm. always been able to find some source 
uh, from which I can show you at least some episodes of whatever show from from my youth. So we're going back to the uh, 80s and 70s and 60s here. Yeah. Meanwhile, this is a show where if you want to go watch it, and I'm going to tell you this early in, in the recording in case you want to find out, you've got to be signed up for the Disney DVD Movie Club. It is exclusive to that. And you have to order the two two disc sets. You'll have four DVDs of the entire series then. But that's the only release this has ever gotten. And it's only available through the movie club? You can't buy those DVDs elsewhere? You can't buy them elsewhere. They are DVDs exclusive to the movie club. So you have to wow. sign up for that, get other Disney movies. I think that's how we filled out our Ghibli collection. I think so, yeah. And then buy these as extras. Okay, well, we will have to, uh, that, that might make the show notes a bit of a challenge, but we'll put whatever information we can about obtaining uh, copies of The Weekenders in our show notes. Absolutely. So for the show itself, each half-hour block was two stories, with a few exceptions where there was a story that had enough going on, they took the entire half-hour block to tell a single story. I only know of one or two of those. And and they were worth it. it they, there was no filler in those. And you could almost watch them separately. You just get a, uh, and, and understand what's going on. But if you watch the whole half-hour story, it's going to make a little more sense. Yeah, those kind of special ones where they're, they're connected. And even in, even in that one, the, the, we watched one of those, and they directly put in the break and reference kind of, oh, you're back continuing so they're prepared for you not to and they want you to continue at the same time it's right yeah they understand what they're doing and that's one thing this show is very self-aware and that starts from the very beginning where our for lack of a better term our lead character tino tonatini yeah tino tonatini is addressing us directly breaking that fourth wall there are various times during any given story usually at the beginning and the end and occasionally sometimes in the middle when the background will all go black and white and tino will turn to address us and talk about what's happening and what we're watching and what horrible thing has happened or what what crisis he and his friends are trying to deal with and that's one of the reasons why we get a little more insight into uh, tino's thinking and his neuroses and everything is a crisis and he's always trying to figure out some solution to a problem that doesn't really exist okay not 30 seconds ago dot cardigan walked up and handed me this mysterious notes can be forces for good or evil but i found that it's generally a good idea to engage in a little paranoid speculation before you open them garver check it out mysterious note from dot cardigan paranoid speculation time absolutely hmm he's like the most relatable young rod serling Oh, that's interesting. Kind of a Rod Serling meets an early Woody Allen character. I guess, yeah. There's something very much, you know, he comes to the frame, tells you about what's going to happen. We watch through the entire thing, and then it goes gray. He returns to the frame again and closes it all up. And that's how they package up their little moral at the end. But he acknowledges that he's doing so, which... Both enhances and undercuts it. So right, and then he'll he'll give us a heads up that the uh, the intro song is going to co- come around again and things like that. And none of the stories are really that complicated. No, they are. They're telling a simple junior high morality tale in twelve minutes. It's not 
very complex. You can tell from the beginning what the eventual resolution is going to be. But that does not take anything away from the stories because they are told so well. They are told through such fun characters and they are told in such a rich environment with so many details and so many jokes they didn't have to put in there, but they found a place for. It is a world that does not stop for these characters, and yet is, they are obviously part of that world. They- yes, well, that's, a, that's a great point. That's, you mentioned world building before. There is not a sense that the entire world revolves around these characters. Their world revolves around them. But the world in which they live does not. And the fact that it is so cookie cutter sometimes, and not, not, not a bad cookies are wonderful. The fact that it can be so cookie cutter with what story this episode will try to tell, what morality or what, what obvious mistake are our main characters making today means that even when I was a kid, I could relate to all of the parent characters rolling their eyes and immediately seeing the inevitable conclusion coming over the horizon while I was relating to the kid characters of the, oh no, that's a problem, you'd have to do something about it. I was relating to both sets at the same time, and that taught me that there's a perspective to this whole thing. I loved that. And that's something this show does well, As also is... The the kid characters are real three-dimensional people, and so are the adults. It's so easy, if you're going to tell a story for junior high students, to make the adults these like semi-mindless automaton-type monsters. They're not the real people we're concentrating on, so we don't have to pay any attention to making them characters. Or, if you're telling a story for adults, you, make the, you can make the kids uh, cookie-cutter tropes. And here, everybody, even cl- including background characters, but, but definitely the kids and definitely the adults that we get to know, really are complete characters. And yes, there are things about which the adults are smarter and wiser than the, than the kids. There are things about being a kid that the kids understand better than the adults. It's all very natural and believable in the context of a cartoon, which is naturally exaggerated. Exactly. We keep trying to start talking about episodes and going into world, but that's excellent. It is, but yeah, maybe we should, to give some examples of what we've been talking about, walk through at least one of the uh, the episodes that we watched. Yeah. Episode one, you know, you get the... It, it, the episodes we've got are the generic, there's an internal group crush episode. They get that one right out right out of the way and use that kind of to set up who's who yeah not in any way that's different than it's set up with the references anyone makes in any other episode so yep and our four characters there's two guys two girls i think you mentioned them ian there's uh tino and there's carver and there's lore and there's tish so there's Mm -hmm. two guys two girls they've been friends apparently you know since kindergarten and they're in middle school and the only thing I've got noted specifically in terms of the background world that I we have to immediately reference is that episode one does have an instance of Tish's mom, one of the great background characters of this yes. show. Mrs. Casafrakis. Right? Mrs. Casafrakis. You could say that it's a bit of a, a parody of Eastern European immigrants, but she's just such a charming character and she's got all these phrases and dishes that she cooks and everything else from the old country that she's she's just a great character it there's a 
there's a way you can show a character like that 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 can seem like they do not know what they're doing and they're presented this way. It always looked to me like she just doubled down on where she's from and loved it. That her family was just had a lot of pride of their history in that sense. Right. Because it's never... We directly see her both try to do the classical things and do the new things. It's never one over the other. It's simultaneous. Right. She's proud of who she is and where her family is from, but there's never a sense that she isn't delighted to be living in Bahia Bay and being part of the world that she's part of. She's just, uh, again, a a fun three-dimensional character. And the best running joke is her trying to use modern English phrases for the time and not getting it right. It, 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 it's a standard trope, you know, is from TV tro- totes. TV tropes is what I say every time. It's try to say the thing, mess it up. Yes. It's corrected. It's what I is what I say. One story in which that actually became a plot point was that they were looking for somebody and <laughs> she is with cows and duck. Cows and duck? I want to know about the cows and ducks. Tishy's with cows and duck. What could that mean? Lovely character. I love it. She she is a delight, and I always get excited when we see that character because it's going to be it's going to be fun. <laughs> but that first episode that we watched, the basic crisis was misunderstanding. And how you can resolve misunderstanding by just talking to one another. One character overhears another character talking about somebody else entirely and is under the the misapprehension that this one of our four main characters has a crush on one of the others. And is they are desperately trying to... The one who's thinks this might be the case, is, is, has the misunderstanding, wants to do everything they can to avoid actually talking about it. We have to get new friends. We have to pretend something is not uh, what uh, what things are. I have to agree to marry her, whatever it takes. Talk about our fr- feelings. Isn't that illegal? Uh, exactly. <laughs> and of course, in the end, we've, as advised halfway through by Tino's mom, you know, maybe just talking to one another is the way to, to resolve this. Uh, yeah, it was. it's another instance of Tino's mom points out and solves the problem early on Saturday over one of her strange food creations. Yes, that's a. There are so many good running gags in this. They're they're funny standalone, and they they just multiply as you see them. One of them is Tino's mom, who is not a good cook, but she keeps trying. And, and she's not like it's not like she's failing normal recipes. She is attempting all of these crazy alternative vegan y dishes. Not vegan. No, no fish eyes. Yeah. They they're all like. Strange alternative dishes, I think. Yeah, sometimes it seems like she's going out of her way to make things that are vegetarian, but then you find she's making something that has eyes or tentacles or something in them. Ostrich burgers. Ostrich burgers, that's you right. You served me Jimmy on a bun! <laughs> yeah, that was one of the more grim episodes. Yeah, that one got weird. Jimmy the ostrich. <laughs> but yeah, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Tonatini's cooking is definitely a, a every single episode recurring joke and she's good at everything else everything else in the world she seems to be able to do from her job to keeping house to fixing cars she just can't cook she is she's she's common and then her cooking is this this strange curveball 
I wonder in part how much that was to allow animators to just draw like standard polyhedra in green tones and it's some new algae dish she's making. Yeah. It did make some of the animation easier. If I, I'd say that if it wasn't for the fact that they painstakingly animate how these things jiggle and move and that probably took extra time. So we're back at square. Okay, then. Her cooking and a little bit, a little of what we've seen of Tish's mom's cooking also explains why they spend so much time <laughs> eating chili cheese fries and so much time at the pizza place, which is another terrific running joke. The best running joke ever is the pizza place. Yes. The pizza place that is never the same theme twice. It's always the same location and the same owner, but he's still looking for the right theme. Okay, time for pizza. Your pizza, should you choose to accept it, is a pepperoni with extra cheese. The system is telling you you can't eat a pizza. Maybe some dot-com billionaire or slick Hollywood tycoon can eat a pizza, but not you. Well, I am here to tell you that is bunk. You can eat a pizza. And so can you, and you, and Pepperoni, innocent citizens menaced by hunger. This looks like a job for the Pizza Avenger, Ender, Ender. Hey, hit it, Otto. A special today that our chef is making is pineapple, cheese, and Canadian bacon. Ah. Our usual. Hold the singing. Yeah, okay. Usually it's introduced on Saturday as the new sign is lowered into place, which implies that this place is rotating theme every week. That takes dedication. That takes a an investment. That takes probably knowing or being related to the guy at the sign manufacturing shop. Or it means that he is involved in some kind of money laundering scheme. That and this too. pizza place is not intended to make money. Between that and the very strange and offbeat styling that sometimes the pizza place gets, the idea of actor who doesn't quite get his start but starts a pizza place and with this money laundering gig on the side actually explains way more of that that's the best explanation i've ever heard for this but some of the themes that we've had we saw prison pizza where the booths are cells and your pizzas pass to you through a little slot in the barred door and there's a file for <laughs> serving the pizza oh and, and, and tin cups full of soda that's right and there was a pizza impossible where uh, it's the Mission Impossible theme where you're lower, the, the pizza is lowered to you from the, uh, the ceiling. Your pizza, if you choose to accept it. Yes. <laughs> My favorite of them that we saw was Surreal Pizza, which is just, you know, melting clock artwork pizzas everywhere. The walls are decorated with pictures of eyeballs with wings. It's all bewildering. And then it's him coming and serving the pizza. Yeah, he's like a, with a top hat and who ordered the... Who, yeah, who, who ordered the electric monkey boot with bazooka cobblestones? He slides the pepperoni pizza on the table, slaps it with a fish, and roller skates away. <laughs> That's where the this guy was an actor or tr was doing something of that before the pizza shop is cemented in my mind. And there's another one I remember from previous viewings was this like lounge act or nightclub where he's doing the whole song and dance with the top hat and cane. Oh yeah, and like, he's got this. That's the one where your mom and I thought, 
I want to go to that pizza place. That looks awesome. That looks amazing. Oh, and from a different episode we watched, we can't forget uh, Lord of the Pies. Yes. They didn't seem to actually serve any pizza there because there was no adult supervision. There was no adults there. The guy even figured out a way to run his pizza shop for a week while taking a vacation. That explains it, right? He just sets that up, leaves the door unlocked, and it's a thematic event. It costs him nothing. Everything yeah. else is locked away. It's- there are some rocks and pine trees, uh, excuse me, lo- uh, uh, rocks and palm trees inside the pizza place, and apparently that's it. It's perfect. How about uh, finding us a waiter there, Tone? Sure. Good luck. It's like there's no one in charge around here. <laughs> and in terms of adult supervision, this sometimes veers into kids television where it seems like the kids just don't have any adult supervision for for vast stretches of time which reminds it a little more like the way way things were when i grew up than when this was made yeah but it's there are adults in charge of things and it's it's always clear that these kids are part of a community where there are responsible adults Mm -hmm. and and these kids are not are not taking negative advantage of this freedom the they will go to gameville the gamiest place on earth the local arcade <laughs> they will hang out on the boardwalk and go to the snacks shack and get their their snacks they'll go to the mall but they'll also like they're regularly going to the museum yeah the anthropology museum there looks great yeah and, and it's got its little food demonstrations with the the wonderful lady who uh, who runs those. Oh, another great running joke. There's always some Foods of the World exhibit. <laughs> and this monotone, droning narration uh, explaining what the food of the, of the world is this week. I, I can't do a good example of this. This is one of those instances where I'm going to immediately call to edit. <laughs> insert clip. I will have to drop something in there. Yeah. These small, colorful tubers were the original potato, first grown by the Incas around 200 B.C. So, please enjoy something dandy from the Andes. They're always shown at least responding to it. One of the ones that I remember, it's not one that we watched, but it was like Eskimo ice cream. And she goes through this entire description in the flat, monotone voice. And I said I can't do an impression, I still tried. But she does this entire thing about what it used to be made of, and it's flavored with berries, and I remember this too well. And then it ends with the the twist of the, nowadays, it's mostly lard. And the thing is, we, we pan over to see the kids still trying it. Yes. That right there says, that's one thing, Tish may be the smart one, but no one's the dumb one. Lore occasionally will play the I don't get the joke. Right. But even she, as a character and as a written character, makes references that says that these kids at least read and pay attention in school and they are engaged. They are they're not flat characters in terms of not only personality, but in terms of breadth of information and interest. These are kids who, I mean, Tino has a a dream sequence which involves Martin Van Buren yelling down with the cotton gin while riding a train. This is a level of rational esoteric information for these kids to have that makes them more real. 
Right. They're, they are cartoons in that they are simplified, but they are not caricatures. They are characters. Yeah, that's a good description. Characters, not caricatures. It's excellent to see that sort of depth. And it's written not only for our main characters, but for everybody. Right. I don't know that we ever see any of their teachers, do we? Because we see very little of, of school just because it's the nature of weekenders. Yeah, we we never see any of the teachers. We hear, I think, reference to some. Right. But it's not like you know, Arthur or something where the teachers and the principal and such are part of the the world. No, no, yeah. All, all, of, all of the adult characters that are frequent repeat occurrences within their world are people out at establishments or businesses or go- places to go to in Bahia Bay as a whole. It actually makes it the the city as the wider place that you meet these other adults instead of just at the school environment. Right. So there's the guy who runs the ever-changing pizza place. There's the lady at the anthropology museum with the food exhibits. There's the the leader of the helpers helping the helpless. Yeah, the um, perpetually pregnant. Yes. This is Duong. And the helpers helping the helpless, that's the local, like, community service outreach kind of program. Yeah. Thank you for helping helpers helping the helpless. And if anyone could find my thesaurus, that would be very <laughs> helpful. <laughs> One of the best bits from the long two-parter that we did watch, which kind of capstoned our, our viewing. Yeah, so let's talk about some of the other episodes we watched. We watched the original one, which was the the, the, the pilot, which is the misunderstanding about one of them having a crush on another and the moral was why don't you just talk about your feelings with one another mm-hmm. what were some of the others we watched uh, in a recap one of the episodes uh season two episode seven had the two stories one of which in where tino gets the two tickets air quotes to the band chum bucket oh chum bucket apparently the best band in the world because <laughs> it keeps coming back in story after story we hear a little bit of their music. It's much more grunge rock, which fits the yeah, name, it's... but doesn't fit what I expected the kids to listen to. But then it's I... not that far out of the time period, really not very that... early aughts. You yeah, know? early aughts. I mean, I think I also just was weird for the amount of the MIP Giants I was listening to that, at that age. That instead. could be. But yeah, we get Chum Bucket. In other episodes, we there's Chum Bucket the movie, and then there's Chum Bucket the movie the game that shows up in Gameville. <laughs> yes. The... I love that one just because the entire thing is he gets the two tickets, but there's four of them. Who does he take as the other person? And we see them rotate through uh, the the methods that are our main other three attempt to persuade him with are legal force offers to do house cleaning. And then I, I just have it listed here as pathos to the nth degree. Yeah. So they try to use, um, Fear of the law, negotiation uh, for of services, or guilt yeah. are the three tools that his friends try to uh, to use against him to get to get him to choose them as the person who gets the other ticket. Mm-hmm. And in the end, as this keeps going, of course, uh, he makes a decision finally. And the the moral of the story is: your friends will forgive you for making hard choices. Don't overstress these things. Talk it out with people. Right, and, and, and if you are friends, nothing like a concert ticket is going to change that. It was one of the less clear cut 
stories. I really wasn't sure how it was going to resolve at the end uh, from the beginning, which you usually do. Mm-hmm. They're resisting talking about feelings. You know they're going to learn how to do that by the end of the story. I wasn't sure how this was going to resolve, so it was more interesting in that way. I love it because this also has a second moral, which is like somehow the most modern moral I've ever heard in a kid's show, which was the fact that the two tickets weren't tickets. They were vouchers, each worth two tickets. So he had four tickets. They all got to go. And in his little Everything Goes Grayscale, he tells us this main moral and then states the other moral is always read the fine print. Right. This is a kid's <laughs> show that will go there. I I love that. It's, and just this earnest, don't be caught by legal nonsense kind of story. Yeah. Okay. In some ways, that made the ultimate problem just kind of go away at the end. So everybody was happy. <laughs> but it really was a good lesson. You're right. Read the fine print. Yeah. Don't just click I accept on the terms and service. Read the fine print. Good lesson. Good weekenders. (laughs) What are some others we looked at? We watched the episode where Carver gets caught by some of the popular girls because they prank him. Right. Yes. That was like, is is revenge ever a good idea was the, the overall moral of that. Yeah. That one's awkward to watch through the beginning. Yep. Carver, in the end, is a nice guy. He gets his revenge. She knows he gets his revenge, but he can't stand doing that to a person. So he winds up paying extra money to have a guy show up and defuse the fake situation they made. Right. It starts out with a a girl in school pretending to like Carver so that she can trick him into saying embarrassing things on the phone while there are other kids listening in. And then he's decides to go down the path of the revenge and figures out some way to humiliate her publicly. Mm-hmm. And in the end realizes, no, I, that would just escalate all this and I would feel terrible. So why I'm not going to go down that road. And even at the very end, when it's proven that despite having diffused this, but she knew it was him, the popular girl still then does another step of humiliation on top of it at the very end against him. And he's no, I'm too, I'm, I'm bigger than this now. I like that too. That was great. It would be so easy to provide the false message of if you behave like a good person, everybody around you will be good. Yeah. Because that's not true. But if yeah. you behave as a good person, you have behaved as a good person. And that is its own benefit, as its own reward. So uh, I like the fact that they didn't take the easy way out of his seeing the error of his ways necessarily meant someone else seeing the error of her ways. Mm-hmm. And even with it being an episode where Carver is the one in the situation going through the steps and dealing with that, the other three are not removed from it. It doesn't not include them. Tino becomes kind of the voice of reason. I think they even call him that with a sigh at one yes, point. And you're going to be the voice of reason, aren't you? Uh, but he takes that kind of angel-on-the-shoulder situation. Lore takes more of the devil-on-the-shoulder. Catharsis will be good for you. This is how the world works. But she also kind of learns the lesson of, yeah, you did the right thing in the end. It was fun to watch that happen, but that's not probably the best. And Tish becomes color commentary. She apparently took our advice and binged all of Columbo or other... Uh, noir or a noir series yeah, I think or something. She was watching thirties detective movies. She was watching thirties detective movies because for the entire episode, ever since they went to, she's been binging those all night, and they went to 
the with the prison pizza the prison pizza she is talking the entire episode like it's a gangster film which somehow simultaneously removes her as a character from either side yeah and i story wise it, it was a fun joke but the fact that they kept it through the entire episode i didn't care for because it really did eliminate her as a character yes but that so seemed like something a kid would do and it yeah. so fit the personality of this an energetic learning kind of person that they've already that we know her from other episodes even yeah. if that was your first episode the you're a person who would binge stuff and keep this up for a week uh, it, it tells you something. It, we still got her personality. It's through a layer. Yeah, she was someone who was always eager to, or always quick to dive into uh, enthusiasms and obsessions, whether it be 30s and 40s detective movies or Shakespeare or some kind of art that she's learning. She was uh, she was always finding something else to be enthusiastic about and to be obsessed about, and this was was what it was for that episode. And I think it was probably just fun for them to write all of these responses. Yes. Probably fun to record, too. Oh, definitely. Uh, the last episode we watched was actually one of those, the two parts are one big story. Yeah, they had a bigger story. It was all one weekend, but all they needed weekend. all their 20-some minutes to tell it. And this one has two story parts that by the end of the first half turn into one. Right. And that's where it can it, you could have broken it up into two stories, but it, it was designed as one. Yep. And the the first one of the stories is the fact that it is the grand reopening of Tesla Park, the theme park in Hia Bay based on Nikola Tesla, which looks awesome. Once Why we actually isn't get to that see it. real? That should be real. Even if they do show everything breaking down on this opening day, which is actually realistic for a theme park. Yeah, you know, where you read about the opening day at Disneyland. And, uh... Yeah, but it's like, it's got this giant statue of Nikola Tesla with apparently coils in his hands so that it'll, it'll uh, spark electricity between them. It's got, I mean, it's it's full on reference. They've got a Hall of Presidents about Nikola Tesla talking of... of uh, Alternating current will bring about a age of technology, and then the animatronic breaks down. Uh. <laughs> and they have the some of the rides that they have there. There's the the tunnel of mutual respect. Yes, we can talk about more about that in a bit. There's the the Zeno's arrow ride. What does that mean? That it is motionless for any given point instant of time? I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, this is the sort of like this is the sort of paint job they've given these classic carnival rides but it looks fun yes and that ties into the other story which is that tino's mom after eight years of divorce is going on a date and tino being tino is rather freaked out about this freaks out majorly uh but to both distract him and get to their end goal the kids go to helpers helping the helpless and oh, be, because uh, the the organization had passes to the grand opening that they were going to give to some worthy volunteer. Yes. So despite not wanting to break sweat to do this, they go to uh, the volunteer thing and help out there. They're not that great at the chair building, but they're shown helping move cinder blocks. Yeah, the 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 different 
community assistance projects were a little questionable. There was building chairs out of scrap lumber, none of which looked very safe by the end of it. Oh, only a few of them, and those were all made by one guy. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there's one guy there who had put himself through grad school as a carpenter, so he knew how to make chairs. Nobody else did. Mm-hmm. There was collecting cinder blocks. Somebody had a donation of used cinder blocks, <laughs> which they were going to use to build a... A structure for the storage of future cinder block donations. Which is, the, that was a perfect little little bit of just how secular and how not always actually helpful these things can be. Yes. That, w- that was just fun of this side comment that makes you go, wait, wait, what? What is that being used for? <laughs> and uh, they're all like struggling to carry one cinder block. But meanwhile, there's this guy who can carry like three or four of these at a time and is awesome for it. Yep. Yeah, he's the the apparently knowledgeable, responsible adult who's decided to volunteer here. Mm Mm-hmm. And there is the uh, cleaning up the alley behind uh, Gameville, the gamiest place on Earth, where we learn that he is also a fan of comic books. So everyone loves him now at this point. And there's the shoe drive where we learn that he is uh, is knowledgeable about shoe design and uh, designed shoes for some some big brand at some point. So every single uh, one of the kids now thinks this guy is awesome for a reason. And it turns out that he is the guy that he and his mom is going on a date with. Of course. I mean, of that course. Was, the kids that... didn't get that for a while, but it was obvious that the, to any viewers, that's what they were setting up. Oh, and well, even they... the character pointed that out, didn't he? The character pointed that out with a ta-da. And the fact that the episode's named after him <laughs> helps. Uh, so the first half of it is Altino panicky about the fact that his mom is going on a date. Yeah, trying to convince her that it's a terrible idea to go on a date. Why would she do this? <laughs> and the second half she is all him panicking about, this guy. about the fact that it might not go well because this guy's too awesome to let leave. Yeah, now he's all set for this guy to be his new dad. So we see we see him turn on the on the fastest dime ever, but it still feels like one cohesive story, and it is also two distinct stories with two distinct modes. The the nervous about what's going to happen and, oh, it might be okay. And the don't push it, <laughs> calm down about it and let them have their life and, all in one. Yeah. And it did a pretty good job of, of presenting and addressing these two different but related things that certain kids have to go through. Mm-hmm. It, I never had to deal with anything. I, my folks are awesome and I love them and I do podcasts with them, and, but I knew enough people who went through situations that this sort of thing helped me relate to them. So even if it's not a story that is applicable to your life, these sort of shows and this one being good at it would give perspective to be able to understand fellow classmates, people I later worked with and talked to because I could at least have something to think about and reference to about what they must be going through. So when you were watching these for the first time and you were around the age of these characters, this wasn't just entertainment, was it? No. This was entertainment and a, I understand you, you understand me, and you can understand other people lesson. Even if it, and it was, it was, I could see the endings coming a mile away, but it was the way it put those all together with just enough inside Tino's head and just enough of the world not ending for their 
issues keep on go it keeps on going even if they're having a hard time it was a pers- it was a lesson in perspective in a good way and i like that show for it and i come back to it because it it taught things and there's parts of it that still ring true to me i still and i realized it's from this show will call being in a bad mood or a bad thought and keep going with it into as spiraling because in that first episode, they call they say Tano is spiraling again. And I'm like, is that where I picked up that phrase for? And it's a concept you suddenly were able to wrap your mind around. Exactly. Because had some model for it. So I I love it. And that these episodes, even if they don't relate to you, can be. They're, they're a good example of a standard morality story encased in a world that just seems fun. Okay, so this might be a bit of a reach, but based upon your your description and the way you've related to this show, you could almost say that this is a better written, better performed, better produced, more valuable show for kids than Lidsville. (laughs) Absolutely. You sure? I mean, I don't (laughs) don't want to force you to go out on a limb on that. Okay, the one case is where if Lidsville might be better... If you are attempting to, as young children, start a revolution, <laughs> because it was much more militant and much more hijack a car and drive away and, and like seize power from an authority on a hilltop. But outside of that one social situation, which you shouldn't need to be in ever, <laughs> I think you go weekenders. Okay, I, I can I can see where you. I'll with give that. Litzville the benefit of the doubt there. Give it Some give value. it one instance. Okay. Well, I think that brings us to our final questions that we always ask about our shows when we watch them on the podcast. I think it does. And so the first of those is binge or no binge. Is this a show that you should sit down and watch all the episodes of? Is this a show that if you're going to watch it, watch it in little bits? Or should you just not watch it? Or should you just not watch it? And I dropped that one because I don't think yeah, it's that's something... not an option here. And I'm going to say it's it, there's two ways to do it. If you want just one little thing... The no binge, watch a bit of it is fine. And that will be great for that small, well-told morality story. If you want the world of it, binge it. Because seeing the pizza place rotate from place to place, seeing Mrs. Wong pop up with another project in the background somewhere, or this rotating set of foods at the Anthropology Museum builds the world, and the binge will help with that. The first time I saw this show, and I remember it clearly, it was Easter. We'd gone to Easter Mass in the morning, we'd finished up our big breakfast, we'd done all that, and we were cleaning up, and I sat down and I turned on the TV, and I was going to go to something else, but Disney Channel popped up, and here was this show, and I just got entranced. And then Mom came over and watched, and then you came over, and by the end, we were all watching this show. Yes. And it was, they had a marathon because it was one of those, it's a holiday, we're not going to get a lot of things, so we'll put on all of a show. But we watched through episode and episode and the world just kind of on, the world of Bohia Bay just unfolded in this binge session. So I can say I found it from binging it and it's great for that, but it's not, doesn't have to be watched that way. I would agree. I would say, especially if you're an adult and the sense of humor we've described sounds like fun, or you know, you've got kids who, who would uh, would enjoy this, go ahead and binge it. It's not that long, and you really, it does, really does roll 
one piece to another in terms of building this world, providing this uh, this sense of humor. But if you've got kids who aren't going to want to sit and watch something like that, by all means, there's nothing lost from watching it a couple of episodes a week. Yeah. And you'll still you'll still get the world. It just won't be as as rolling as that sense. So it sounds like uh, we agree that uh, on an answer of absolutely binge or just go ahead and watch in whatever way suits you. But it it's definitely rewards a binge. Mm-hmm. So now that's we, one of our questions. Now we get to the question of reboot, revive, or rest in peace. Yep. And that one's tricky because I think this is our first animated. I guess it is, isn't it? Is yeah. it really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The, the other things that we've seen had CGI or fake CGI or green screen composites and things, but... Uh, this is our first fall on animated uh, show. And that makes it tricky because you could do all of these a little bit better. You'd have, you might have to recast voices. Yeah. And I don't know how that lands in our system. But you could keep the story going with more stories of these characters as they're growing up. You could... So we could have more stories about these same characters, either keeping them forever in middle school mm-hmm. or... Uh, I'm not sure I'd want to see these characters grow up just because it necessarily changes the nature of the storytelling. Yeah. But you're right. You could tell more stories about these characters in middle school. Mm-hmm. I think a... That, that'd be a revive. That would be a revive if you're essentially... You're acknowledging everything else that happened. We're just continuing it sequel-wise. Mm-hmm. And you're, we could also... Other types of revivals are next-generation types of revivals. Anything that... Anything where the original is still canon is a revival. So, I mean, you suppose you could have one where Tino and Carver and, and Tish and Lore are all grown up and we see their kids. That would be a revival of sorts. That could be. And a, a reboot, I don't think it would be just, you know, bringing them back and I don't within like, tell these again. But yeah. They're already good and they're already... Yeah, there's no need for a reboot. I can't no. imagine any revision of this or reimagining of this that would add anything to it. Yeah. And then there's rest in peace. And so on this one, I think is a loving rest in peace. I think so. I'm tempted by the revival just because I would love to see more. Mm-hmm. But I, it's been more than 10 years. It, in some ways, the revival, I'd want to see a revival of Bahia Bay. Without it having to be these characters. Oh, I'd love a show that happens to take place in Bahia Bay with a different set of characters doing their own things. And in the background, if you look, you can see aged up versions of our characters going about their own lives. Oh. Similar to the way the adult characters in this show would pop up as speaking roles, but sometimes just as background walking around character roles. I think they could have fun with that. You'd need a story that necessitates or brings you back to Bahia Bay for a reason. But i that's kind of where I'd think you could go if you were to do that. It doesn't need it, but that'd be yeah. fun. Yeah. I'm, I think I agree with you there. Uh, it's rest in peace. I'm, this is terrific. I'm glad that it exists. I don't see anything added by trying to redo it or trying to make more of them. Mm-hmm. And in some ways that's also helpful because it means... If you go get the DVDs from that movie club thing, you have the entire series. Yep. It's not going to, it's probably not going to come back. It's not going to change, but it's all there and it's good. 
All right. So thank you for joining us this time on the IMMP cast. You can find me at itemcrafting on Twitter and itemcrafting.com. You can find my dad. Yeah, you can find me at by Matthew Porter on Twitter, or you can find me at MatthewFPorter.com, and there are two T's in Matthew. And you can find the podcast as a whole at IMMPcast on Twitter or at IMMproject.com, where you can find our, sh- our episodes and our show notes. And uh, other contact info would you can find on that website as well. Absolutely. We love to hear from you and hear what you thought of the shows, if you went and binged them, if you, there's something that made you go back and rethink what you watched. or If there are any shows that you remember from the past that you want to know if we watched or want to suggest for a uh, another podcast episode. Yeah, we'd love to hear that. And so, thank you again for joining us. And remember... Go find something new to watch. Friends of Tish, have you met already Tish's cows and duck? There she goes with that cows and duck again. Oh, she means my cousin Doug. Is what I say. Cousin Doug? <laughs> <laughs>